0: Good morning, good morning. We are dancing in with Soul Mikasa, Mono Dibango. This is Charlotte Farrell, your own sister C, right here in the place to be CJSS Radio 90.1 with your Friday Speak Up Show. Have we got a treat in store for you? Yes, it is a good morning. This morning on Speak Up, I have a wonderful guest. Julia Hunter is here from Food Stash. And we're talking about sustainability in two ways. How do we sustain all of these mountains of solid <laughs> wrappings and so forth with so many people at home? And then how can we sustain food security and how this wonderful organization is doing that? So Julia, introduce yourself. <laughs>
1: sure thanks charlotte so my name is julia i'm the director of food stash foundation and we are a registered charity that operates in vancouver and what we do is rescue food that would otherwise go to waste and we redistribute it to our community whether it's our partner charities that we work with or households that we deliver food boxes to so what's the difference in the partners program in comparison to the household food box program Mm -hmm. yeah so our partner charities we visit about three to four per day directly after we have picked up food from our suppliers so our partners receive food deliveries typically of ready-made meal deli items but also surplus meat dairy produce and some grocery items as well and then so that's a bit of a miscellaneous delivery whereas our food box is produce meat and dairy that comes back to the commissary kitchen here at YBR prep and we sort through it all and then we reorganize it into Uh, 80 households now that we deliver these food boxes to on a weekly basis. So um, it's the same food that is being distributed. It's just uh, happening in different ways. And then we also have an animal sanctuary that we work with that receives all the inedible produce that doesn't quite meet the quality for the food boxes. Uh, So they come pick that up and that's uh, animal feed for um, the animals on their sanctuary.
0: I see, and now have you noticed an increase in demand from your agencies with uh, COVID, with the pandemic?
1: Yeah, absolutely, increased need both on a household level as well as our partner charities and new charities that have been reaching out, uh, or local nonprofits, most of whom um, were either running meal programs or food programs previously in some way, and they just need to serve more people, or organizations who are taking on new programs and projects to, to fill the gap and fill the needs within their own communities. So there's certainly been such an immense need, uh, crazier than ever, we've been busier than ever, uh, trying to, to fill that gap and su- support as many um, organizations or households as we can.
0: Okay, we're gonna talk a little bit about the number of helping hands needed to uh, fulfill that need. But uh, it makes me think of a song called Reach Out and Touch Somebody's Hand. So we're going to hear that and then we will get back to discussing the operation that you have and how you make this possible. out and touch somebody's hand. Somebody, so many people over the years helping us to remember that while we can't touch, we could still re- reach out and touch people's hands. This is CJSF 90.1 in Burn- Burnaby. Uh, I'm Charlotte Farrell, your host, and we are doing a remote count a conversation with Julia Hunter and I hear voices in the background that's some of the helping hands and I was asking you uh how how do you operate to serve so many people
1: yeah I mean usually this are uh our programs are hustling and bustling with volunteers Uh, that's our usual way of doing things but of course with COVID and the physical distancing measures um, we've had to pause a lot of our volunteer opportunities just to make sure that everyone can remain a safe distance apart so currently we're actually operating skeleton crew staff only Um, we do have the delivery drivers that are still doing that on a volunteer basis and that's delivering the food boxes to about four or five households Um, but in terms of the sorting and the boxing up which usually sees about you know anywhere from six to ten volunteers at a time right now that's just staff only so there's about two or three of us that are doing those ourselves just For the moment until until the physical distancing measures ease which who knows when that will be and then we can welcome back volunteers back into the warehouse here at YVR Prep.
0: So the staff do the 80 packages for the families?
1: Yes yeah I just came upstairs from doing 30 for today we have 30 going out and then tomorrow we'll sort through everything and then we'll box up another uh, twenty, and that twenty will be delivered by bike. Actually, as part of the pilot uh, bike delivery program that we have going on now.
0: Well, when safe distancing is over, we'll have to get you some hand massages and <laughs> <laughs> pampering yes. for that Herculean effort. Uh, so, when you go to pick up from stores, are the people there prepared? And are they wearing masks? Or how does the driver go about picking up things from the different stores?
1: yeah so we we did put a couple um new measures in place such as like we did get homemade masks that were donated to us two for each driver that were washable and reusable so that they could they could wear one if they felt comfortable and then every vehicle is equipped with enough sanitation products to the equipment and clean their hands Uh, and we just stressed physical distancing across the board for example when they get to our partner charities usually before covid we would you know help help them bring the boxes in or exchange boxes you know hand to hand but now uh we just line the boxes up on the back of the truck and then we step away and the the representative from that organization can then go and and grab it themselves that way there's no exchange or um, coming in close proximity of one another so um, so yeah we implemented those and then of course just stressed stressing on the sanitation not touching your face because that's how it that's how the virus gets into your body um, and then we've limited the amount of equipment that we're also exchanging with families so typically we had a CSA style reusable box that we would load all the food into, deliver it to the homes. And then the volunteers would pick up the empty boxes and we would just constantly exchange equipment that way. But when COVID started um, we actually just put all our boxes into storage and now we're just using uh, whether it's a cardboard box. And we also have these beautiful reusable grocery bags donated to us that we've been using instead. And that way the families can just keep, keep the bags keep the boxes the volunteers don't have to worry about taking any of the equipment back in and um we're not having to sanitize that equipment so it, for now it's it's the safest way to to do the program and it mitigates some of those risks that uh, volunteers and households had
0: i know the program uh was initially visioned and brought into being by someone who's concerned was the amount of food being wasted do you have any sense of how much food get was being wasted in vancouver
1: I actually don't have the figure right in front of me, but I know in Canada that's close to 60% of all the food produced is wasted. Um, I can get the number for Vancouver for you. I don't want to say the wrong one, but um, there's definitely, it's definitely the tip of the iceberg. Like yes, food stash is out there and we work with 16 suppliers and we're hoping to get a second truck and double our impact. But um, there's always going to be more food that can be rescued. And right now we're, heavily focused with the retail side of things and grocery stores but um, there's a lot more to be said for other levels in the food chain that we're we're not currently working right now that we want to be one day such as wholesalers or directly with farms and i think since COVID has started, especially, and the needs increase, and all these gaps in our food system have really been exposed. It's right. highlighted the need to, to start making uh, some of those moves and new partnerships along the food chain so that those links are already in place and those relationships are already um, formed. So, when, let's say, a pandemic or some sort of, um, you know, something arises in the society where already connected to those people so we can immediately uh, put into place the food rescue and what we do um, to ensure that nothing goes to waste.
0: And and, I know people have said some of what is being learned through dealing with this pandemic is helping people to put measures in place that they never thought of uh, should something similar occur in the future.
1: Definitely, yeah. I think the, the biggest one for me um, that struck a chord was in the States as well as in Canada. A lot of dairy farmers had all this milk uh, that suddenly had nowhere to go with all the businesses closing down. And what a shame it was to see all that product potentially being wasted. Now, some of it, of course, was able to be, to be rescued. But when I first saw those headlines coming out of all this product that was suddenly uh, ready to be distributed or ready to be, you know, moved up to distribution and brought to these businesses or companies or restaurants or whatever it was, was now just sitting. Um, and it was cheaper to just dump it away rather than, uh, come up with a plan to redistribute it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it just emphasizes the need to be local. And I think the push to be more local, more connected to our food, mindful of the choices we make and how that impacts the food system as a whole. I think that's, that's really been highlighted in these last few weeks with everything that's been happening.
0: Um, I had two questions, but you know, the, <laughs> are the nonprofits that you work with, are those, is that confidential information or could you share either by, that the agency, characteristics of those nonprofits?
1: Yeah, no, most of them are on our website. So it's not, uh, they're not anonymous. We work with, we work with quite a few. Um, Over 50% are on the downtown east side in Vancouver, and then um, just spread out across Vancouver, really. We don't really uh, say no to any organization, as long as we can fit them in scheduling wise, location wise, and the types of food they need as long as we can match up all their needs with what we can provide then um, we bring them onto the program as soon as we can so so yeah some of those I mean Kettle Society that's downtown side, kind of East Van area uh, the Powell Street getaway um, we have some ones more in the Mount Pleasant area but truly it's all across all across Vancouver and all our partners are on our website for the most part
0: oh speaking of websites what is your website
1: Foodstash.ca. Thanks for asking. And <laughs> Check even it spell out. <laughs> it because
0: sometimes uh, things sound very similar. So spell it out.
1: Yes, f o o d s t a s h yeah, dot c a.
0: So you're stashing what would otherwise go to waste.
1: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh,
0: around m- models when you're talking with, I know one of the uh, goals for the program. When we spoke earlier in the year, was to increase the the number of partners. How do you approach people about becoming a partner with you?
1: Do you mean supplier, partner, yes. charity, or supplier? Supplier, supplier. Um, good question. So we do already work with a lot of main suppliers that, I mean, people are very familiar with, such as Whole Foods, IGA, Save On. Uh, Stong's market. They have two locations in Vancouver. Um, And so really what we're trying to do is support these suppliers that have multiple locations across the city. Obviously, I think there's probably, you know, 10 save ons in Vancouver if I'm just estimating right now. So um, once we're working with one of those locations, then, you know, the second, third and fourth location want to be doing the same thing. And these companies also have their own sustainability goals. So, we work in tandem with those and we're able to come in and support those goals that as a business they have and to help them reach that. So, um, so to be honest in Vancouver, I think we're quite lucky. I think people are very aware of environmental issues and, um, are very passionate about those things. So it's not too difficult to approach someone and, you know, mention food waste and mention our program and how we would be able to support them and then have them get on board with that, um it's pretty um a lot of people support it right now
0: Now for some people who may be just under a cloud (laughs) and don't understand the connection of the word sustainability to um feeding people how would you describe sustainability sustainability goals that a company might have
1: Mm -hmm. oh that say like a grocery store might have yes yeah, I think for a lot of grocery stores, I mean, they want to mitigate their own food wastes, um, both for the social aspects, but also because, you know, waste to get it hauled away also costs money. So there is also a bit of a financial incentive for these companies to reduce their waste. Um, I think the push to be zero waste in BC, also in Canada, is moving forward. And so companies are realizing that they need to get in line with that in order for consumers to support them as a business. Uh, So I think to them sustainability relates to their operations and whether it's how they order food or how they're moving food through their shelving and their inventory, how can they do that in a way um, that isn't creating this massive pile of waste that is just going to the landfill breaking down methane gas, greenhouse gas emissions, climate change. These companies want to fall in line with the environmental values of their consumers and also of the way that public opinion is is shifting and what people are passionate about. So I think, you know, there's food waste, but then there's also things like packaging. And there's so many ways companies want to be sustainable. Food waste is just one piece to that, to that puzzle. So that's important to keep in mind as well. But um, it's definitely an initiative that I think businesses appreciate both for the social uh, impact and the financial uh, aspect as well and environmental of course
0: so it's building on something that we I know you have a lot of belief in a better future how uh, having sustainability goals or respecting the fact that we're trying to reduce the amount of food that gets thrown out at a time when so many people are hungry Uh, it makes me think of another song and this is a song of what can happen when we believe and there's a beautiful uh, duet between Whitney Houston and uh, Mariah Carey called what you believe what do you believe and so uh, I'm going to play that I think uh, the word believe uh, came in in a beautiful animation uh, A few years ago. And we're going, we can't see the animation, but the words that keep continuing to come through is what you believe you can achieve. So we're just going to hear that song right now.
2: We are not
0: What miracles you can achieve when you believe! Beautiful song by Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. So, how does belief? Do you have? Uh, let me again say, my guest. My guest today is Julia Hunter from wonderful organization Food Stash. Food Stash reclaims food that would otherwise go to waste, but it is good food. Uh, how do would you say that your beliefs as a company? Uh, help fortify people at a time like this, where you're doing the work of several volunteers.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think our, our belief from the start was that everyone has the right to access food. And so if we operate in a way under that belief that everyone should have access to healthy food, um, that's ultimately what drives us. And of course we also have the environmental side of things and reducing the impact of food waste environmentally, but, Um, There's also the food security piece as well and since COVID has started, uh, the need for food has been more than ever and that's certainly been the focus is how can we get healthy food on the plates of these people, families into their house, like how can we get the food in the door basically, because of course with isolation and quarantine some people can't leave their homes or suddenly they're working from home and having to take care of their kids and it's much more difficult to get to the grocery store, I mean, or they lost their job. I mean, whatever reason it is, people are struggling to just get food, which is just such a basic uh, human need. And so um, part of what Food Sash has done, in addition to our food rescue efforts, we've also um, been a part of an emergency feeding program that was uh, funded by the Juicester Foundation. And so that was a collaborative effort between ourselves, the Jooster Foundation that funded the project, as well as a local catering company, uh, Savory Chef. And then we also partnered with another organization called Vancouver Food Runners, and they um, they dispersed their volunteers to deliver these ready-made meals to five charities. And we did about 2,000 meals over two weeks, and the program actually got extended to six weeks. So that's about 6,000 meals over six weeks. And that was just the delivery of these ready-made meals so that these families wouldn't have to worry about what they were gonna serve that night. Um, and so I think, you know, beyond food rescue, as you say, it goes back to that basic need of just getting food to people who need it most.
0: Would you have any idea what number of uh, those thousands include uh, isolated seniors?
1: Isolated seniors. This meal program in particular, we, we serviced a lot of organizations that actually focused on youth uh, and families but in our program our rescued food box program we do have about i would say about a quarter 25 percent are seniors um, but that emergency feeding program was um, actually more so focused on youth and, and families
0: yeah i know a lot of kids you know got part of their nourishment at school during the course of the day. So it's good you know, yeah. to have know that there's something that's helping those families with children to have a, a healthy meal.
1: Yeah, definitely. And another really great uh, initiative that I saw was a lot of the grocery stores actually created that hour or two at the beginning of each store opening for um, folks who are a little more vulnerable or at risk, such as seniors. So um, that was really great to see as a designated time slot for um, seniors and others to feel safe to go to the grocery store and do their shopping before um, before the crowds before the crowds gathered. <laughs> I, I, I thought you'd, I, I
0: thought it was a great thing too, but I thought, what makes them think older people are up at six o'clock in the morning to go to the <laughs> store? <laughs>
1: that's true. That's true. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I guess they would have to. But I mean, at the same time, if I knew that that was the cleanest part of the day, they just sanitize everything. I, I would go out of my way to get there if, if I was in that
0: group for sure. Oh yeah, people people do that. <laughs> it's just one of the things, as a uh, you know, that I think.
3: That, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: it, it's highlighted. You know, I coordinate a program, uh, podcast program with uh, seniors that's now coming out on. Uh, um, anchor FM pod station. And, you know, we've talked about the lack of transportation, that that was a barrier even before with the supermarkets. And now if you have to go to a location where people are distributing foods to take, you know, back home, it's a hardship. But as you are indicating and keeping track of things to think of and to plan in and network with other groups of what to do when there's the next emergency, I think that's something that they would be you know, maybe thinking of, you know, are there mm-hmm. small cars, you know, what what kind of system might be put into place to go to buildings that are uh, 50%, 100% seniors that aren't nursing homes? There are some uh, yeah. buildings in the uh, East Van area that are just seniors buildings.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted
0: to ask you, uh, about the founder, I came across his story. Uh, would you share a little bit about, uh, when we talked about beliefs, what made a person transition from teaching to going into this kind of work?
1: Yes, yeah. He could probably speak to this a lot better than I could, but I'm fortunate to have him as co-chair on our board of directors. So I still do um, see him and, and uh, work with him uh, often, which is great. Uh, and so David, when he started, he was teaching, he got interested in food waste. And then he uh, actually watched a documentary. And that's also on our website, which is kind of the, the trigger to Food Stash, which was called Just Eat It. And mm-hmm. it was a local documentary about um, food waste. And so I think he saw those visuals and how much food was being uh, wasted. And he, he started food Stash when it when it first started it was really just a one-man show it was just himself, and of course at that point over time he ended up leaving his teaching job to to take on FoodSash more full-time but it was a one-man show for for the first little bit and him just going to these suppliers and saying like hey this is what we're doing do you want to be involved and you know slowly but surely and i mean really not that slowly (laughs) it's it's already only three years in so we're still such a young organization so i'm going to backtrack and say quite quickly tons of people wanted to get involved suppliers volunteers suddenly he was doing the pilot program of the rescued food box which at the beginning was just nine households that he would deliver um, with some volunteers these boxes of healthy food to their doors and then obviously in just when I came on last year they were two years in at that point they had 30 households on the rescued food box program and they were working with I think around fifteen to twenty suppliers, uh, some of whom were restaurants and cafes, but also some uh, smaller kind of market grocery stores. Um, and so, yeah, it's just this—it's just been this bit of a natural, um, a natural growth, I would say, over over three years. And uh, he's actually back teaching now, so he's doing the virtual. I know a lot of teachers right now are uh, <laughs> yes are adapting to the new the new way. So he's teaching. Online, um, but as I said, he's still very much active, and it's it's so great to still have him involved. Obviously, because he, I mean, this is really his his brain baby. It all it all developed from him, and and so we're all here because of that. And it's just, uh, yeah, couldn't be more grateful, obviously, for for what he's done, and and the fact that he's still involved is amazing.
0: And I think it's such a great example of a quote from you know Margaret Mead, who's when they ask, you know, how can a small group of people make a change. And she said, that's the way it's always done. And so yeah. someone who not just saw a movie and said, oh, that's terrible, who really moved out and gave up a comfortable job to get this going. So yeah. I think it's just so a, a great example of the human spirit and what it's possible for one person to do. Um, have you heard of other people that have, uh, among your volunteers, are there people that come from um, a variety of occupations
1: oh yeah, I mean we our volunteers are any which age and come from you know whether they're uh, retired or they're in high school and want to get some experience um, or they just have some time like maybe they work part time and they just want to give back during time during the day that they have free so we have people from from all over, and uh, I think relating back to what you said I think that same passion that started food stash is very much what keeps it what keeps it going and we have a lot of volunteers that uh volunteered with us at the beginning who are still very much active and have remained a volunteer for the whole the whole duration of our existence those those 3 years um and so so yeah it's just uh it's a great it's a great thing to be a part of and i think um I think yeah just that that passion that started it is what really what keeps it going and and still what attracts it to other people to this day like people who reach out and want to get a part of it they they notice those things whether it's on our instagram or our website and they reach out because they're equally as passionate about the same issues whether it's the environmental or the food security
0: um i wanted to ask you about the the meal packs i know that they're is a cost associated with it, why is there a cost and how does that help the program?
1: Sure, yeah, so the first, we have 50 households that are on what we call the classic recipe food box program which is the grocery box delivered by a volunteer driver And we do have a $10 delivery fee um, not associated with the food, because obviously the food is donated. We, we get that. We're not paying for that food. Uh, So that cost is really just to go back into the program to support, to support the program, whether it's new equipment. Uh, We do equip each box with an ice pack and insulation and, Um, the materials to sanitize and the tables and all that Um, but also too we wanted to create an open relationship with our members and uh, feedback is a really important piece to the food box program We're we're doing it to help people and so we want to make sure that it's actually helping people and so we we send a survey uh, twice a year and in that survey we ask for their open and honest feedback and we've just found that if there is an exchange um, even if it is just ten dollars, it opens up that relationship so that they feel comfortable uh, giving us honest feedback because they're paying for a service. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have about twenty households that have just come on to our new pallet program, which is the bike delivery program, and that's in partnership with Shift Delivery, who's a, uh, a co-op, a cooperative bike delivery uh, company in Vancouver. And so that's a little more different because we are paying Shift. Uh, to help us deliver those food boxes. So while shift is really helping us logistically sort out delivery and we don't have to worry about recruiting volunteers and coordinating volunteers. So that way we're able to expand the program really quick. So don't have to worry about that side of things. The fee from the members actually goes directly to that delivery fee to make that happen because that is uh, a separate pilot rendition of the food box program. So, um, so yeah, both, Equally go back into the program, the first 60, 50 households mainly cover equipment and costs associated, and then the other 20 households go directly to the delivery cost of delivering those by bike.
0: Which is great because you're creating some employment.
1: Exactly, yeah. And I mean, shift delivery, the team there is so amazing. They they ride all over the city delivering things uh, by electric trike, the cargo type uh, trikes that they have, and those can carry... I think we calculated it's about 12 or 15 of our food boxes. So, I mean, they're, they're getting a workout and they're, <laughs> as you say, they're getting employed. So, yeah, it's, it's a win-win-win on a lot of levels.
0: Now, I know you're not uh, into gardening, but uh, two questions about the food people get and how people can reduce their own personal waste. Because someone in sustainability showed a place downtown where all these pallets were just full of our, our, our waste and trying to encourage people to do, grow gardens. Or what are other things that you suggest people might do uh, with food to reduce the amount of what they're throwing out?
1: Mm-hmm. I think planning is a big one. Um, I've been guilty of this in the past too, though since Food Sash, I've gone a lot better. But taking inventory of your fridge and pantry before you go to the store. Um, it's very easy to forget or not bring a list and all of a sudden you get home and realize that you have five of one thing when you only needed two of that, mm-hmm. that one thing. So uh, planning ahead, taking that inventory of what you currently have, I try to store things in clear containers as opposed to opaque, um, solid color Tupperware just so I can see what's in those and I'm more likely to use it up if I know what's in it. Um, Leftovers are huge, you know, storing them properly or freezing them if you don't think that you'll get to it in the next two or three days and that way it extends its life and you can heat it up later. And then if you're really keen, you could, uh, you could track your, your composts. And I personally use a one kilo container on my counter. And that way, every time I take it out, I know the exact volume of, of the container and, and keeping track that way, uh, inspires you to be more mindful of what is going into that. If you set a goal for yourself of how much, uh, compost you really want to get out. And then There's a lot of resources nowadays online uh, for ways to be resourceful with your food, whether it's um, parts of a fruit and vegetable that typically you would cut off and throw out that you could actually bring new life, whether it's in a soup or a stew or a a sauce or a puree or whatever it might be. So, um, so checking out those recipes, I know love food, hate waste. That's a national resource. So you can go on and they have recipes. They also break it down by, the type of fruit and vegetable and what you could do with say a stock that normally, uh, you wouldn't eat raw or in a, in a stir fry, but that you might be able to repurpose elsewhere in the kitchen. So just getting, getting, get, getting creative, uh, tracking and being mindful of planning ahead. I think those are the, um, three big ways that you could start to be a little more sustainable with your own food waste.
0: And I think at one point, you know, educating people about that, uh, the date that's on products that, you know, if you get milk that says today, that doesn't mean that it's bad today.
1: Yes, thank you for mentioning this. This is very, this is a big one at Foodstash because obviously we get a lot of milk uh, and meat that have the best before dates on them. Uh, And so similar to ourselves as you would in the household, the best before date is not directly correlated to food safety, it's the food quality. Uh, and so the company that made that product wants you to consume it by that best before date to achieve, you know, the full flavor of freshness, but that doesn't mean that after the best before date, that food is, is, uh, no longer consumable. And I think for a while, uh, you know, public health, the messaging was like, you know, if you're, if you're unsure, just throw it out. And that was right. the messaging for a really long time. Whereas now we're kind of dialing back and saying, well, actually if it's past the best before date, it's probably okay, you know. And there's natural cues that you can use, like actually smelling the milk before you drink it, or um, looking for moldy spots, things like that. So being a little more intentional with with your products before you actually throw them out, I think, could easily um, result in less food waste. Because, I mean, even yogurt, for example, if that's sealed and you haven't opened it you can very safely consume yogurt two to three weeks past the best before date if it hasn't been opened.
0: Yes, that's a song that I sing even in my household. And because people have so much heard, when in doubt, throw it out, you know, they say, oh, you're gonna get sick. I've never been sick. from <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but some other things, I, I think, uh with with meats tips people have said you could cook it if you you could cook it and then freeze it you could cook it and make it a stir fry you could cook it into something like a a spaghetti or uh any number of dishes you could cook and then freeze it so that uh it saves time for you when you're ready to eat it again but you don't have that nagging thought of oh i bought it and it was the day that it was supposed to expire you know but really uh does that help? Do you, do you put any kind of message in the boxes that uh, families get about using the foods or recipes for food?
1: Yeah, so we we actually are trying to build that out a little bit more and maybe have a monthly newsletter just for our members to share more of those tips and tricks directly as opposed to just, you know, on our Instagram not all families might be on our Instagram. So we're, we're trying to develop a way where we can provide that information like upfront directly to their inbox. Um, but we do have information that when they come onto the program, we provide to them just so they're aware of some of these things like best before, like how we sort our fruits and vegetables. And that way when they receive the box um, they're, they're equipped with, with what to expect. And uh, you know, if they get milk and the best before date was a day ago, we'll, you know, if they hadn't read those that, that information sheet, they might, um, they might ask us about it. And we've had that before. But it's, as you say, it is an education piece and just having that conversation and then immediately, immediately people are like, oh, okay, okay, awesome. And then everything's good. But uh, it's definitely needed. And we're, we're very transparent about the items that go into the box. And um, sometimes it is just as simple as a conversation with, with each household if they have any questions.
0: Uh, science fair projects. I there's an Echo Shock uh, show that comes on before Speak Up, and uh, I heard them talking about you know your own personal composting or not with kids out of school. I knew that there was something we used to do where you stick potato. Uh, toothpicks in a potato, and put it in water, <laughs> and you know it would grow a plant. So parents who are scratching their heads about how to do science, you know, there are a lot of things that they could do with with food.
1: Yes, yes. I myself, I've put um, a celery stalk in a bowl with some water, and sure enough, <laughs> it will sprout out some some little baby stalks. After so, it yeah, there's tons of. Uh, Of cool uh, windowsill planting you could do with not even soil again it was just some water and and uh, I think a lot of people forget that you can do that because you know like we talked about earlier we're a bit disconnected from our food so even simple (laughs) things like that to remind ourselves that indeed food comes from the ground and we can grow it (laughs) it doesn't just it doesn't get born on the grocery shelf
0: Yeah, I had an experience a few years ago where I did a budget menu column weekly for a Toronto newspaper and people said they were so surprised at how much more they got from their their, their budget when they took time to make a menu. I took time to look at, well, if I have onions, even if it's the same kind of meat, if this time I mix it with onions and celery and the next time maybe green pepper or vary the spices, that it doesn't have to be boring. And then that we don't all need, uh, I grew up in the Midwest and and people ate eight ounces of meat. And now I could use eight ounces of meat to make a dish for four people. (laughs) So I think just being more mindful of, uh, we might have been over-consuming from some food groups, whereas there are others that will help us with getting the vitamins and minerals that we need. Because, uh, as they've talked about, who survives the regimentation, the intensity of the medications that are given uh, to people who get the virus? That having a good, um, you know, nutritional foundation is one of the things that is beneficial or helpful to people who are, uh, you know, just fighting to survive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I think um, having a good uh, diet and making sure you're as healthy as possible, nutrition, physical activity, mental health, I think those are all really important aspects of your overall health. Uh, Certainly, you know, there's been some, I've seen some some headlines about uh, cures to COVID-19 or certain vitamins and minerals. I mean, Obviously, nothing will cure it, but of course, we all want to be as healthy as possible to fight off general infections that we might encounter every day, COVID-19 aside, right? So, um, yeah, I think – and that's that's one of the reasons why Food Stash and the reason that I love the Food Box program so much when I started was because it's a healthy, good, hearty box of perishable – all the food groups, veggies, fruits, meat, and dairy, so that people can have a healthy diet and access to healthy food, so – for sure,
0: I agree. Yeah, that th- there's a need that has been expressed by uh, different town hall meetings and different groups of the city. In some places, it's a food desert; it's a desert as far as they're not being sources of fresh fruits and vegetables. So I think it's so impressive that you've got fresh fruits and vegetables uh, going weekly to people's homes.
1: Mm-hmm, definitely, and I think that's been felt even more. As you mentioned earlier with less transportation and um, I know they've cut down on some of the bus routes and so suddenly routes that might have taken people right to their their source of groceries were no longer so I think I think you know as we've said throughout this conversation COVID-19 has just really highlighted some of those main issues to accessing food for people.
0: Now is there a network do you belong to the emergency preparedness network or are there any think tanks and networks that food Stash belongs to that are talking about preventive measures or talking about what you've learned from this pandemic?
1: I think we'll start to see those sprout up shortly, if not very soon. Um, I think the past month and a half since March has been very reactive and everyone just trying to, to adjust to this new norm. Luckily for Foodstash, a lot of our programming is delivery-based. We don't have a lot of foot traffic. So um, for us, there wasn't a whole lot that we had to change about our actual model, our operational model. The things that we had to change had to do with the physical distancing and uh, and the equipment exchange and whatnot. But I think hopefully we'll see some of those think tanks, as you mentioned, emerge in the in I mean, if not already in the future, but in the meantime, I mean, we are connected to a lot of organizations who run a lot of food programs and there's been um, many zoom calls over the last few weeks about collaboration and how we can work together to make sure that no one's missed and that uh, we can get the food and distribute it evenly. Um, For example, there is a task force for, um, for school, for elementary schools in Vancouver. And so that was just, Uh, collaborative Zoom uh, meetings that occurred over several weeks of how can we ensure um, that we're distributing food evenly and that you know these kids that are no longer going to school who relied on the school programs how are they getting and their families getting food Um, and so a lot of those conversations have been happening more so on the what can we do right now action as opposed to uh, looking ahead and and you know a year from now two years from now how can we how can we change long term but I hope um and i I'm sure that those conversations will start to happen especially now that everyone is is settling into as i said that that new normal for the indefinite future
0: yeah those just knowing that collaborative efforts like that are going on brings to mind another um, old song, but timely song by Curtis Mayfield, People Get Ready. the spirit of better together is reflected in that song people get ready by curtis mayfield we have been listening today we've had a wonderful guest julia hunter from food stash they are helping people on a much more expanded uh, basis to get ready for just the challenges of life to have the basic food and nutrition that make people wake up and just feel happy to see another day that helped them have the energy to go about their task, Uh, reaching out and helping children across so many levels. We thank you for what you're doing, uh, Julia.
1: Thank you.
0: And again, would you just say how to get in touch with you and any things that people can do, even though volunteers can't come in, there is anything that you can mention that people can do to, a benefit to your program you could say that too
1: absolutely so definitely encourage everyone to check out our website food.ca and learn a little bit more about what we do and our programs and then right now we are accepting volunteers for on a volunteer delivery driver basis for our food box program Um, But if you are interested in volunteering, but don't have a car or would prefer to sort or box with us, all you have to do is sign up for our newsletter um, or complete the volunteer form and you'll be added to our e-list. So when the time comes that we can welcome you back into uh, the warehouse here, you'll be alerted by email and and we can stay in touch that way. But if you do have a car and the time and you'd like to uh, deliver some food boxes for us now, you can certainly do so.
0: That's wonderful. I'm sure there are people that will want to come and do that because there's some people that just say, well, if I could just do something. So this is a way that you can help a family and help a group that is reaching out to um, make sure that people do not go to bed hungry and to come up with a way to reduce, definitely reduce the amount of food that gets lost. So thank you so much. This has been Speak Up with Charlotte Ferrell, your own Sister C, here at The Place to Be. 90.1 90.1 FM in Burnaby, and <laughs> from my home production place to yours. And whenever people say, what time is it? I say, it's always love time, poem time. So thank you so much. You'll hear from me again next Friday.
4: Love time, poem time, love time. From heaven to shine, love time, poem time, time for words to pattern and rhyme, love time, poem time, time for words to wash the wounds, bind the lashes and play bassoon, love time, poem time, time for poems, poets and singers to untie all life's ringers. Poem time, love time. Time for you to reveal to me. Unravel all your mystery. Time for joy and utter grace. Rest from toiling in this place. Place of poems, place of words. Place for love instead of Love time. Poem time. Poem time. Love time. Love time. Poem time. Time's for words from heaven to shine. Love time. Poem time. Time for words to pattern and rhyme. Love time. Poem time. Time's for words to wash the wounds, bind the lashes, and play bassoon. Love time. Poem time. Poem time. Love time. Time for poems, poets, singers. Time to untie all life's ringers. Time for you to reveal to me. Unravel all your mystery. Time for joy and utter grace. Rest from toiling in this place. Place of poems, place of words, place for love instead of swords. Love time, poem time, poem time, love time, love time, time, poem time, poem time.